0: you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org joining me is the director of education and counseling of jews for judaism in canada the website is jews for judaism.ca jews for judaism.ca welcome back to the program, Rabbi Michael Skobach. Shalom, Jano. Good to be here. Hello, my friend. Hello. Not, till, not too long until Pesach. Are you excited? <laughs> can you tell over the phone? <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting stuff, but we've got time to squeeze in another program because, of course, we are investigating, we're continuing to investigate the alleged 365 Messianic prophecies in the Tanakh that Jesus supposedly fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, on the list of 365, I do believe we are kicking off from number 290. Boy, we're making progress. It's pretty amazing. I have 233 on the short list here. On the short list, of course, that's the list supplied to us by Carmen Welker of the Refiner's Fire. She put that list through the Refiner's Fire and uh, cut out about 63 of them that she thought were no good. Uh, I think she could have done better, and I think in this in this particular program, we're really, really, really going to see that she could have done better. I have to say, Michael, I think uh, you know I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to offend Carmen, but I, I honestly do believe this is
1: some of the worst uh, ones that I've seen on the list so far. You know, it's ironic, by the way. It, it is. It was actually the most painful group to go through. On the <laughs> other hand, ironically, what was amazing was that of the thirteen passages I'm hoping that we'll cover tonight seven of the 13 are actual real, bona fide, undisputable messianic prophecies. Now,
0: that's the most we've ever done in one program.
1: That's more than we've done all put together. I think we've, All put together. I think we've had maybe two or three up till this point, and uh, tonight we're going to have seven of the 13.
0: Well, there's something to look forward to. Alright, yeah. well, there's something to look forward to. That's I'm happy with that. And we are, of course, in, we've, we've done the book of Isaiah, Wow. and we are now in Jeremiah. How about that? Amazing. It is amazing. And it kicks off from uh, Jeremiah chapter. Well, you know what? Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses five to six uh, is the passage in question for the for the first three on the list. Uh, the, The passage does say, behold, the days are coming, Michael. Behold, the days are coming. May they come soon, says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Did you hear that? In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. I'm looking forward to that. That hasn't happened yet. Now, this is the name, Michael, by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, uh, of course, that's a tetragrammaton there, the Lord, our righteousness. And uh, the corresponding verse the first one on the list matthew chapter 1 verse 6 in the new testament it says and jesse begot david the king david the king begot solomon by her who had been the wife of uriah now the uh the messianic prophecy apparently fulfilled is that the messiah would be a descendant of david michael well
1: this is uh, of the passages that we've studied this is an indisputable, clear messianic prophecy. Uh, oh, beautiful! Yeah, and uh, you know, I think we've discussed in the past a little bit about how we know. You know, how would someone know when they're studying the the Tanakh that they actually are encountering a messianic prophecy? I'll just put a plug in for my video: the real Miss- the real Messiah. We just topped a hundred thousand views this week.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Look, I tell you what, now that you've mentioned it, I'll put a uh, a link on this post so people can go straight uh, to it and, and get the details. It's called The Real Messiah. Yeah, okay.
1: part one, actually. There's a part two. But part one basically is a, is trying to understand organically from the bottom up, from the, uh, the the Hebrew scriptures, what is a messianic prophecy? How do you know something is about the Messiah? What are the criteria? And, uh, you know, you have to have for anything in life to understand anything in life you need to have clear accurate working definitions i think that it was uh... socrates who said the beginning of all wisdom is clear definitions mm-hmm. and so uh... we're not going to sort of rehash all of that but this is and one of the proofs by the way uh, that i suggest is that when everyone agrees about something people who normally are arguing, when they all agree, you know it's pretty clear. There's <laughs> the one that argues, this is a messianic prophecy. Um, and it's true, the Messiah would be, will be a descendant of David. That's because the Almighty promised King David that mm. all future kings would descend from him. Um, so this is clear, this is true. The two problems are, number one, it's far from clear that Jesus was actually from the royal line. There seemed to be... You know many, many problems and questions about his genealogy, his lineage, his pedigree uh, and these are problems that all stem from the gospel records, meaning that it was if it wasn't for the gospel records, we would know nothing about jesus mm. um, but that the the account that 's given of his genealogy is far from uh compelling. Uh, it's riddled with problems. We've discussed these in the past already. We have. Um, so that's number one. It's not 100% clear that Jesus really does descend from the royal line. But the bigger problem here is that just simply reading this passage for what it says makes it abundantly clear that Jesus was not the Messiah as defined by this passage. I mean, that this passage is telling us how we can recognize who the Messiah is, because the passage um, and it 's by the way corroborated it, it, there there are literally you know hundreds of passages in scripture that sort of corroborate the the vision of who the Messiah is, mm-hmm. but one of the the details is described here that during his time at hit when he 's here. Judah will be saved. Now, again, it's not saved in the sense that Christians ask, are you saved? You know, um, We've discussed this in the past. The word yes. saved in Hebrew um, is referring to being basically rescued from political mm. and physical danger and, and uh, threats. Mm. And then the, the next phrase clarifies it, and we will dwell securely. Um, so one thing that's pretty clear to anyone in the world, especially Jews, is that we have not been living in peace and security um... ever and you Mm. know things got a lot worse actually after uh, the the period of jesus so it's very clear that uh... the messiah one of the things that will be true about his reign is that when he is here when he comes the whole situation of israel is going to change dramatically and that's what jeremiah is telling us here Mm. jeremiah is saying that there's going to be a new world order And one of the elements will be, there'll be peace and security for the people of Israel. Hasn't happened yet. You know, I'll tell you a cute story, that in 1986, I went to a conference of the Assemblies of God. It's a very large Pentecostal denomination. Yeah, AOG. Yeah, we've got them here as well. Mm. And they used to run a conference. I'm not sure they do it anymore. It was called the Ruach Conference, for the Hebrew Uh word spirit. And it was yes. basically a conference where they would learn how to uh, convert Jews to Christianity. That was the whole purpose of the conference. Uh-huh. Uh, so I went with my friend Larry Levy. It was in Tanawanda, New York, near Buffalo. Uh, and everyone was very, very nice to us. I mean, even though I think we raised some hackles being there... You know, virtually everyone was very sweet and very nice and welcomed us and, you know, was uh, telling us how much, you know, Jesus loves Israel and how much God loves the Jewish people and how much they love us. And they really were genuine. And one fellow comes up to me. And says, you know, Rabbi Skobak, you Jews are very stupid people. Oh. <laughs> I was taking it back. You know, it's sort of strange uh, sales technique for a missionary. Yeah. And uh, so I asked him, why do you say that we're stupid? He said, because you listen to what the rabbis teach. And I said, okay, what's, what's so, you know, idiotic about listening to what the rabbis teach? So he, he said to me, he asked, well, who is the greatest rabbi that ever lived? And I, I said to him, I don't know, you tell me. You know, he obviously had someone in mind. <laughs> so he said, Well, wasn't Rabbi Akiva the greatest rabbi that ever lived? And I said, Well, you know, he was probably in the top ten. And uh Rabbi Akiva was a great, great sage mm. uh who lived about a hundred years or so after Jesus. Mm. And uh so this fellow says to me, Well, don't you remember Rabbi Skobak that Rabbi Akiva had identified Bar Kokhba as the Messiah. Rabbi Akiva said that Bar Kokhba would be the Messiah. Now, Bar Kokhba was a a, a Jewish military leader, Mm -hmm. and he actually led a rebellion against the Romans. Mm, Simon Bar Kokhba. Simon Bar Kokhba, or Bar Kokhba. And he said to me, look, you see that Rabbi Akiva was wrong about who he thought the Messiah was. So his point was that if Rabbi Akiva, the greatest rabbi, was wrong about the Messiah, then obviously all the other rabbis could be wrong for rejecting Jesus, in which case the Jews are very stupid for following the rabbis. And he felt very happy with himself that he, had, he thought he had <laughs> scored this big point. <laughs> so I was smiling inside because this very exchange that we were having actually took place over a hundred years ago in Europe with one of the greatest rabbis of the time, the Brisker Rav Heim mm-hmm. of Brisk, and he actually had this exact interchange with a Christian missionary. So I basically just stole his lines, and uh, so I asked this this missionary, I said, "Well, you know, you're putting down all the Jews." following the rabbis and you're assuming that Rabbi Akiva was wrong about Bar Kokhba being the Messiah, I said, how do you know that Rabbi Akiva was wrong? I said, what makes you so sure that Bar Kokhba wasn't the Messiah? So he looked at me like I was out of my mind. like, what do you mean Bar Kokhba was the Messiah? He said, what are you talking about? He was killed by the Romans and didn't bring peace to the world. <laughs> now you know he didn't get it so fast. it took him about thirty or forty seconds to realize, "Oh oh, wait a second, <laughs> yeah, he realized he really stepped into that one so oh, that's really the problem. The problem is that the the scriptures give us a, a a uh template, you know a criteria, a job description, if you will uh it describes. What's gonna be when the Messiah is here? You know, the, the the focus of the of the scriptures is not to really give you uh personal identification, you know, about the Messiah. We don't learn how tall he's gonna be and what a color color hair he's gonna have and you know, is he gonna be overweight or skinny? We don't get that in the Bible. What we get basically hmm. is a description of what the world will look like when yes. he's here. And those identifying marks are very, very clear we're told that the exiles of the of the people of Israel will all return to their land and we're going to all return to God and it's going to be a national repentance and there's going to be peace in the land and there's going to be the temple will be rebuilt and the Jewish people will become the teachers of the world and the whole world will ultimately come to faith in God and there'll be world peace. I mean, there's a, an incredible description of a totally transformed world. That's what we have in this passage in Jeremiah. And it just simply has zero to do with Jesus. And Christians are forced to sort of fall back on this this refrain of, well, Jesus will accomplish this when he returns for his second coming, which is Mm -hmm. nice. We always say that necessity is the mother of invention, but (laughs) it it still wouldn't prove that Jesus is the Messiah now, meaning that if if they want to say that when he comes back, we'll see, fine, but that's not the Christian perspective. Their perspective is, no, he is the Messiah, and yet they're forced to say, however, he will only fulfill these messianic prophecies when he returns. So, it really mm. puts them in an in a uncomfortable situation, and that's really going to be the theme of tonight's program, that's, basically. It
0: <laughs> <That> really, <laughs> really is. Now, the next one on the list, uh, the same passage, uh, John thirteen thirteen is the corresponding verse, and it does say, this is Jesus talking, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And uh, the prophecy fulfilled, apparently, is that, is that the Messiah would be God. Now, this genre was really
1: painful. This one, <laughs> it, it really, I, I I try my hardest to, uh, you know, put myself into the seat, you know, to the thinking of the Christian that's making this sure. list up, and it, it really hurt going through this one. Um, it's really typical of what I I would call a soundbite approach to proof texting that basically ignores the very clear thrust of the scriptures Mm. both locally and globally. Um, Is it really true that the clear teaching of the Tanakh is that the Messiah would be God himself? Um, I mean, it's pretty clear that it's the exact opposite. You know, we we already had a passage in Isaiah chapter 11 where the prophet says to us the Messiah would be someone who fears God. Mm. Um, Isaiah could have simply said the Messiah will be God. You know, by telling us the Messiah will fear God, it seems to be pretty clear that he is not God himself. And there are really many, many places where and we'll see them in in a while, that the scriptures simply distinguish between God and the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Now, the proof here that, you know, the list maker is relying on is the fact that the Messiah would be called the Lord is our righteousness. And uh, their assumption is that if that's what the Messiah is called, then he must be the Lord, you know, the Almighty, the Tetragrammaton, yud heh vav Hey. The problem is that you'll see in Jeremiah 33, verse 16, that Jerusalem is called by the very same name. That's right, um, yeah. You know, no one's going to suggest that Jerusalem is the creator of the world. Um, no. And throughout the, the scriptures, we know that many, many, many people, and actually even inanimate objects... Are called by the name of God in, mm-hmm. in Genesis thirty three twenty, Jacob calls an altar a pillar, El Elohe Yisrael, the, the God, the God of Israel. Um, mm-hmm. No one's going to assume that this pillar was. The Almighty. Of course, this one has the actual tetragrammaton
0: involved. So it's, we're not talking about El. We're talking about yud heh and And but, but even so, that, that I mean, according to this list, then, that makes me a Messianic candidate, right? Because my name is Yohonatan. My name is Jonathan, which has the name of God in it. God has given.
1: Yes. And uh, you know, the tetragrammaton is also in the passage about Jerusalem, Right, in, that's right. Thirty third chapter. So the fact that that someone or something has God's name attached to it is not an indication that that person or thing is God. It's sort of a very simple error that's just made in terms of the meaning of the scripture. Basically, when when a, a name reflects the Almighty in scripture, it's an expression of praise for God, not a uh, telling us that that person or thing. Uh, is God, and here what we're being told is that the Messiah will be someone who is empowered by the Almighty. This is just sort of a a rookie, a a beginner error in terms of understanding what divine names mean in the scripture. Um, You know, Hezekiah's name is Mighty God. That's what Hmm. Hezekiah means. No one's going to assume that Chizkiyahu was God Almighty. Uh, no,
0: and it's really. Is there now? Now, is there a name that me? I mean, what is the word? Is um, uh, instead of Is that correct?
1: Tzedekenu, righteousness. Tzedekenu, righteousness. Yeah.
0: So, um. is there a name, a uh, ye- 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 Yehod or Tzedekenu Yahoo or something like that?
1: We don't know of any individuals that well, except for this reference here in Jeremiah. Interesting okay. that the that the Messiah will be referred to by this name. By the way, I I'm not sure if anyone ever called Jesus that when he was growing up, you know. <laughs> well,
0: even uh, his his uh, formal name, I suppose, um, uh, Yehoshua, again, borrows from the Tetragrammaton, and uh, Shua, m- meaning
1: saved, that, that God has saved, but it doesn't mean the Lord our righteousness, so... Uh, yeah, and, you know, anyone that has that name doesn't automatically become God himself. No. Um, by the way, even if, just for argument's sake, even if the the claim here was true that the Messiah would be God if that was true it's not Um, still there'd be no clear proof um, that it refers to Jesus as a matter of fact you know the text again makes it clear that Jesus did not fulfill this Um, but again all you would be seeing from this passage according to the list maker is that the Messiah would be God there's no proof that uh, Jesus is that Messiah other mm-hmm. than, again, the assertion of the New Testament. But again, if it's just for the scriptures themselves, the Hebrew scriptures, there's nothing there that would point specifically that would to point Jesus. That. By the way, right. the, the verse that's cited from John chapter 13, verse 13, um, in my New King James study Bible, they say that that uh, expression that's applied to Jesus is simply the ordinary titles of respect that are given to a rabbi. Mm. Um, so, my teacher and my Lord, even according it should to. Should be my, my teacher and my master. Uh, my master, yes. Mm. Um, the New King James Study Bible says are not titles of divinity, they're simply titles of respect that any rabbi yes. would be given. So this, this is a disaster. This uh, two thirty-four
0: absolutely is. Um, it gets worse, unfortunately. The next one is it borrows from the same passage, Jeremiah twenty-three verses five and six, and the New Testament uh, verse that correlates. Apparently, First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, uh, which says, "And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh." justified in the spirit. Let me read that again. God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit is what it's saying. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, the uh, the messianic prophecy fulfilled, uh, according to this one, is thus Messiah would be both
1: God and man. Well, that's is sort of uh, triple dipping. I mean, we just had in the previous citation the claim that the Messiah would be God, and now – the same verse is being used to prove that the Messiah would be God and man um, so it's, a, it's,
0: it's an interesting thing isn't it because I think correct me if I'm wrong, but was it the Council of Nicaea that uh, legislated that uh, that Jesus was fully man and fully God, one hundred percent man and one hundred percent God, which is another one of those Christian mathematical conundrums I think, but I think that's where it comes from right it's not I mean a lot of people believe that that verse is in the Bible. But you won't find a verse in the, Bible, in, in the Christian Bible that
1: says Jesus was fully man and fully God. Well, look, you know, we don't need a verse to prove that he was fully man. Could be that. You know, he was simply someone that existed 2,000 years ago. The problem is that that expression itself is impossible, meaning someone to be fully man means that they're 100% man. Mm. Now, for a person to be 100% man excludes the fact that they could be God, because if they're God, then there's certainly not a normal man. There's certainly mm. not a man. So it, it is a logical inconsistency. It's a logical fallacy to be both 100% fully God and fully man. Um, but I think it was Tertullian yes. who said that I believe because it's absurd. He felt that to believe something that made sense, there was no virtue in it. So the fact that right. it's difficult to believe made it more virtuous. Um Good for him. But here, you know, we already have... You know, uh, in this one verse, Jeremiah 23, Mm -hmm. three prophecies fulfilled citing the same verse. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting, the very next verse that's cited on this list, Jeremiah chapter um, 30, 30, that itself sort of proves that the Messiah would not be God and man. It says there... That they will serve the Lord their God and David their king. It doesn't say they will serve their Lord God David. Um, it distinguishes, it differentiates between God and the king who will be from the line of David. And it goes on to say, God's saying, whom I will raise up for them. Yeah. It, it simply, uh, again, flies in the face of the rest of the Bible, which makes it eminently clear that the Messiah would not be God. Um, mm. And it's interesting also, I don't want to try and speculate on what First Timothy really means, but to say that God was manifest in the flesh, you know, when you think about it, um, in some way, all humans are created in the image of God. And right. you could therefore say, really, that God is manifest, really, through all of his creatures, all of the human beings that exist, We reflect Mm -hmm. divinity, we testify to our Creator, and there's a bit of godliness in us in the sense that we partake of some similarities with God. And so, you know, for 1 Timothy 3.16 to say that, you know, God was manifest in the flesh, you know, again, I don't want to argue the point here, but I could very well, from a biblical perspective, agree and say, sure. God is manifest in the flesh of all humans who were created in his image, it doesn't prove that those human beings are therefore divine, that they're God, uh, that they're creators. Um,
0: so the interesting thing, by the way, is that that particular verse, uh, There, not every uh, English translation will have God was manifest in the flesh. It does say so in the New King James, but it has a little asterisk there, and if I follow that down in the tiny little bitsy writing, it says the NU text reads, who, as in who, was manifest in the flesh? Uh, continuing with the theme of, of uh, Jesus, Jesus was manifest in the flesh, justified by uh, in the spirit, and see by an angels. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it sort of takes the edge off of the proof text. There takes the edge off. Now, uh, the next one, as you as you read, it says uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty verse nine. But they shall serve their God, uh, the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. The uh, the verse in the New Testament. In fact, we got a couple. John chapter eighteen, verse thirty seven. Pilate therefore said to him, "Are you a king then?" And Jesus answered and said, "Bingo." And uh, Revelation chapter one, verse five. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the uh, ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Okay. Okay. And the uh, and the <laughs> And the messianic prophecy fulfilled is born a king.
1: Well, there's nothing here in Jeremiah about this person being born a king. It's sort of uh, a meaningless phrase because no one. Well, is I guess
0: I guess what 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 Carmen's claiming is that the Messiah would be born.
1: Yeah, the sense I got is that the, that the he's born actually a king, meaning that uh, he's. You know, there's some people who are, are born. Uh, you know, with red complexion. Some people are born a little bit overweight.
0: <laughs> I hey, now, that's a good question. Let me ask you this. <laughs> so, just because... I mean, listen, David had a number of sons. It does not follow automatically that they are going to be the Mashiach, that they're going to be anointed king. Exactly. In fact, one of them thought he was, and uh, while he was celebrating the fact, what he thought was going to be,
1: a- it was in the bag, Solomon was anointed king. Yes. So, the, the idea of fear is sort of a meaningless concept that no one is born a king. You can be born to be a king, which is certainly mm-hmm. something that's true, but there's, there's no indication at all Uh, in the story of Jesus that he was born a king or that he ever even served as a king or ruled as a king. Again, it's simply an assertion that Christians make that Jesus was king of the Jews. But what does that mean? Um, You know, he he was never anointed as a king. He never served as a king. He never ruled. Meaning that when we understand what the concept in the Bible of a king is, that has no application to Jesus whatsoever. At most... They will be able to say that, well, when he returns, he will reign. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, we're talking here about a list that Jesus allegedly fulfilled. And to say that he'll do it when he comes back is not really helpful. And it's clear Mm -hmm. that he was not a king while he was living during his three-year ministry. He never served as a king. He never was a king. He, He was basically someone who had to run away and hide from the Romans all the time. Mm. um but it's true this is actually you know in this list this happens to be a real messianic prophecy it is about the person of the messiah but when you read the succeeding verses which the list maker conveniently left left out verses 10 to 11 oh can i read it it oh, says yeah. therefore therefore do
0: not fear o my servant jacob Uh huh says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet and no one will make him afraid for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpun-
1: unpunished. Wow. Yeah, so this is really a, sort of a, a recapitulation of what we read in Jeremiah 23, that the, the the portrait, the description of the messianic era of the Messiah will be one in which, israel returns to their land and lives there in peace Um, and again the the verses here in this chapter just make it very clear that it had nothing to do with jesus there's no connection between jesus and this passage in jeremiah
0: well the next one on the list (laughs) gets worse Uh, jeremiah chapter thirty-one verse fifteen it does say thus says the lord a voice was heard in ramah lamentation and bitter weeping rahel Weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, Michael, it uh, takes us to the New Testament, and of course, takes us to uh, the massacre of the innocents. Um, of course, we know about that in the Exodus story, but here we have one where Herod apparently uh, seeks to kill the children because he understands that there's a believes that there's a, uh, a king coming to replace him and. In order to uh, eradicate the problem, he uh, apparently there's the massacre of the the innocents. And and it says in verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying,
1: and it quotes this very verse. Thoughts? Yeah, this was one of the most painful ones on the list. This one was really, uh, this was was almost impossible to fathom. Um, Mm. First of all, this is not a messianic prophecy. So, when you mm-hmm. study Jeremiah chapter 31, by the way, in a, in a Jewish version, it would be 31, verse 14. Chapter 31, for some reason, the pageantation is uh, one verse off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's not a passage about the Messiah. And um, verses 16 and 17, or I guess um, 15 and 16, mm-hmm. um, in a Jewish version, make it very, very clear that what Jeremiah is describing is not a massacre of children. Um, What he says initially is that these children will be enenu, which simply means gone or missing. It doesn't say that the children will be murdered, uh, massacred, and the, the next verses in Jeremiah plainly say that they will return from their enemy's land and that they will return to their borders. So, Jeremiah is not speaking about children who are going to be killed. He's simply speaking about children who were taken into captivity, into exile, and the promise is that they will return from their exile. Um, mm. So, this is simply just a, a gross misapplication and a distortion of what mm. the prophet actually describes. And even my
0: uh, my New King James study Bible in the uh, in the study notes, it refuses to make the connection to Matthew, Um, but rather it just says Rachel's bitter weeping was caused by the exile and captivity of her children.
1: Yeah, which is exactly what the verse speaks about. Um, Mm. By the way, even if we were to, and I like to try to do this to assume for the sake of argument that this is a messianic prophecy, again, there'd be no connection to Jesus, meaning that All that Jeremiah would be saying, according to this very, very distorted interpretation, is that one day there are going to be a lot of kids killed. Um, There's nothing in Mm. Jeremiah that speaks about this being in the times of the Messiah. And even if it were, it wouldn't specifically point to Jesus, meaning that there'd be no connection between this passage, even if misinterpreted, uh, and Jesus being somehow connected to it um, its just this is a, a losing proposition on so many different fronts this one it
0: should be said by the way, of course, Herod uh, did commit uh, i mean a long list of atrocities against the jewish people he was uh, He was not a nice chap. And against his own family, by the way. Yes, and against his own family. I mean, uh, really, a horrible uh, uh, king. And uh, but, and they're all recorded. All these atrocities that he commits are uh, recorded by various uh, sources. This doesn't appear anywhere else, does it? Except for uh, these couple of verses. It doesn't appear in the New Testament.
1: Yeah, not even in Mark or Luke or John or anywhere else. No record. Um, Uh, And it's by the way, it's the kind of story in the news field. You would say a story like this would have legs. Uh, mm. That uh, Matthew says that not only did Herod kill all the Jewish baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem, but in all the surrounding cities. Mm. Now that you know, it's interesting. It's, it's horrible. We had a tr- catastrophe this week where seven Jewish babies oh, were yeah. died in a oh. house fire. You know, it mm. took five minutes until the whole world knew about that story. You know, here wasn't the death of seven children. Here was, and it wasn't an accident. Here was a a purposeful murder, allegedly, of every Jewish baby boy under the age of two, not just in one city, but in all the surrounding cities. That would have been an, an incredible story that everyone would know about. Josephus mm. doesn't mention it. Josephus writes about what you know certain emperors had for lunch, and he doesn't mention this massacre. Mm. Um, it's not in the Talmud. There's no Jewish fast day that was organized mm. around this. I mean, it just simply escapes the notice of everyone except for this assertion that Matthew makes.
0: Oh dear! Yeah. All right. <laughs> the next one on the list jeremiah chapter thirty one verse twenty two How long will you gadabout? about what how How does someone gad about by the way? <laughs> I think you do it in australia don't you i don't know i don't i've never I've never used gad about maybe I should <laughs> add that to my vocabulary. How long will you gad about oh you backsliding daughter for the Lord has created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall encompass a man well <laughs> I'm not kidding this is it's been joined to Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen to twenty, which is the uh the virgin birth story of jesus uh now the the, the, the messianic prophecy fulfilled is that it says born of a virgin Michael
1: yeah, this is another really really painful one uh <laughs> to to look at um not even my Severely hyperactive open Bible uh, awards this a messianic star, meaning that, that this is just uh, not a messianic prophecy.
0: It's embarrassing, uh,
1: Michael. Yeah, this is a this. The, the, I think there has to be a new, new revised standard version. Uh, I
0: think this needs to go back through the refiners fire has
1: for be, a little bit longer. This needs to be sent back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a bit sad. Yeah, there's, by the um, way, nothing at all in this verse in Jeremiah, not a shred, not a hint that it's speaking about any kind of virgin. Um, now, the previous verse does have a reference to Besulat Yisrael. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could the, usually translate it as the maiden of Israel or the virgin of mm-hmm. Israel. Um, but it's very clear that that expression is not about a particular young virgin from the people of Israel, it's really an expression about the ten northern tribes of the kingdom of Israel. And you see that really in the beginning of this chapter. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 31, the Mm -hmm. first three verses make it very clear that the context here is speaking about a nation, uh, not uh, one particular Mm. girl. And well, again,
0: this is what I've got in the uh, in the study notes of my New King James. It says uh, it says a new thing. Probably refers to the fact that Virgin Israel would encompass or cling to her divine bridegroom. Would that be fair? I mean, what do you think about that?
1: Well, if the bridegroom would be God, and uh, it's a prophecy about uh, the the northern tribes returning, you know, to hmm. reembrace God, you know, that's part of the uh, one of the meta themes in the Book of Jeremiah is the reunification of the northern tribes with their brethren from the kingdom of Judah. And so that's one of the the prophecies that keeps on coming up throughout the book of Jeremiah, that the kingdom of Israel is going to return. And it's, again, not just a physical return. It's a spiritual return as well Hmm. to go together. Um, And that they will, you know, re-embrace their God. Mm. Um, That's one of the wonderful prophecies that we're still Mm. seeing and awaiting its fulfillment. So there's just simply nothing here in this verse about any virgin. Um, And just just to reiterate, we discussed this back in Isaiah chapter 7, if it were a messianic prophecy... It would be a totally useless prophecy. I mean, what would be the point of God telling us that the Messiah is born of a virgin? It's not possible to know whether someone is born of a virgin. You know, no one was able to watch Mary wheeling Jesus in a baby carriage no. And look at him and say, what a cute baby. He must be the Messiah because I can tell Mary that you're a virgin. That's right. Um, it, what it, kind it, of sign is that? That's not a sign. Yeah, it's just sort of, it's, it's not really a useful sign. It's very meaningless. Well,
0: uh, it, when we don't see any relief soon. Sorry, Michael. The next one is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Corresponding verse, uh, according to the list, Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. Now, the uh, the prophecy fulfilled is that the Messiah would be
1: the new covenant. Michael. This is really a, t- a very tortured reading of this passage in Jeremiah um, I emphasize the word tortured yeah I mean it's uh, I don't know what in the world ha- I think someone once said that you have to do an incredible tap dance through scripture to arrive at this conclusion um, this by the way, this passage is a messianic prophecy meaning it's talking about something that will be taking place during the time, the reign of the Messiah, but it is not a prophecy about the Messiah. There's no. not a shred of indication. It's not about the
0: person of the Messiah. It's about the era of the Messiah. the Messianic age. Yeah. Okay. And
1: it's certainly not telling us in any way, shape, or form that the Messiah would be the new covenant. This is a total misunderstanding of what the new covenant is. Um, first of all, let's make it clear that this... Because it is a real messianic prophecy, which is true, um, it's very clear it has not been fulfilled yet. You know, mm-hmm. you go just a few verses later in this passage, and it tells us that one of the things that will be true of this time is that they won't have to be. Yeah, no more shall, this is verse 34, no more shall uh, every
0: man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more.
1: Well, I guess that would mean that uh, the fact that we have missionaries today teaching people to know the Lord is sort of proof that this passage has not been fulfilled. That's exactly (laughs) true. That's right. So that's one thing. And by the way, this is probably one of the most central features of the messianic era is that the entire world will come to know God. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9, and that day the Lord will be one and his name will be one. Mm-hmm. And Isaiah chapter 11, that the knowledge of God will be spread about throughout the world as a water cover the seas. You have literally dozens of passages that tell us that this is going to be one of the real accomplishments of the time of the Messiah. Um, again, so when Christians say it'll happen again at the second coming or in the future, That's very nice. It doesn't help us to identify Jesus as the Messiah now. Now, in terms of what this passage is really talking about, a better translation is not a new covenant, but a renewed covenant, that God's Mm -hmm. going to make a renewed covenant. And you really see this um, from Jeremiah himself in this book of Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 22. Um, It speaks about the same word of Hadash, as being a renewing of something, um, and really, it's speaking about a renewal of the original covenant that was made with Israel at Mount Sinai. So it's not a new Torah, um, it's not a new Bible, it's a new covenant, a new yes. relationship. That's what a Brit, a covenant, is. It's a relationship, and it contrasts, by the way, the new covenant to the old relationship. It describes in Jeremiah here that Israel broke the covenant. We didn't observe the Torah that was given at Sinai. Mm -hmm. So what Jeremiah says is that what will happen is that God will place his Torah into our hearts. Mm. And when we go through scripture, there are many, many places where that expression is actually spoken of. In Psalm chapter 40, it's either verse 8 or verse 9, depending on which Bible you have. It speaks about um, you know, David's saying that he desires to do the will of God because the Torah is in his heart. So the idea is that when the Jewish people didn't have this renewed covenant, we were not always consistent in keeping the Torah. And mm. a definition of having the Torah in your heart is that you will do it. Now you see this very, mm. very clearly in Ezekiel chapter in Ezekiel. 11 and Ezekiel yeah. chapter 36, right? Chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, and Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 to 20, which speaks about God giving us a new heart, and then it defines what does that mean to have a new heart, and it says specifically that we will keep the commandments of the of the Torah. It says in
0: verse uh, 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit with you, within you. I will take the heart of sin out of, uh, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause... You to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh again. By the way, in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven as well, you see that it's one of the. Uh, we'll get to that later tonight, God willing. That mm. it's one of the elements of the messianic age is that Israel will be uh, fully Torah observant. Mm. Um, by the way, the the reference here in Matthew twenty-six twenty-eight is to what Christians call the Eucharist. Um, Again, it's very, very difficult to see in Jeremiah any uh, allusion to uh, a ceremony where people will actually eat the blood and body of the Messiah. I mean, it's a a bizarre kind of association to take Jeremiah and then somehow get from there to the Eucharist. Drinking blood, yeah. Very bizarre. Very, very
0: bizarre. The next one on the list, is, uh, we're still in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 and 15. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I, will pref- uh, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. According to the list, the corresponding verse in the New Testament is Matthew. We're back at Matthew chapter 1, and it is the genealogy of Jesus again. I won't read it all, good heavens. Um, but the uh, according to the list, the messianic prophecy fulfilled is, this is odd the way this is written, it says, yet another prophecy that the Messiah would be a descendant of David.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny that it says yet another one, because I, yeah. I went back over the list. There's actually at least five, Uh, On this list, which say the exact same thing. Um, Numbers 49, 51, 55 speak about the Messiah being a descendant of David. And then here we have 233 and 240 this evening. So again, when you're trying to construct a list of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, here you have basically five that say the exact same thing. Funny
0: thing about it, no, obviously we, we totally agree because this is what it says, that the Messiah will be, this is what, 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think, that uh, the Messiah will be a descendant of both David and Solomon and that's not in dispute. We, we agree with that, absolutely, that's fine. Yeah. What, what I'm a little confused about, I if I if and I hope I'm not misrepresenting Carmen, but we were going back and forth in some messages on Facebook in the past week and I, I gather from her that she believes that the genealogy in Matthew is Mary's, genealogy now if that, it's mary's yeah usually, what's the first problem that comes to
1: mind well usually what what many christian apologists say is that luke's genealogy is mary's genealogy um, it's almost impossible to read matthew as uh, mary's genealogy
0: well well the way she gets around it is that she says and i don't know what she bases this on and and sorry carmen if i'm misrepresenting you please correct me in the comments if i'm getting this wrong but if i if i've got it right she says uh, Matthew's genealogy is, is Mary's genealogy and that her father was named Joseph, and that's the Joseph that is mentioned in Matthew. Now, I don't know what she bases that on, but I think she needs that to be the case because of the virgin birth story. I mean, how how then is uh, uh, Jesus a, a descendant of David and Solomon if Joseph is not biologically related to Jesus. Therefore, because Matthew's genealogy has David and Solomon, despite the fact that Yehonasan is in there, and that's another story, she needs that to be Mary's genealogy. Does that? Well, that's that's, well, that's, that's but- creative. It's creative, but but that's not. I mean, the maternal hereditary in this is not what defines a um, a descendant of David. Is is, is yeah. that fair to say?
1: Well, we know that in the first chapter in the book of Numbers, throughout the whole chapter, verse eighteen is a good example. It tells us that genealogical descent in terms of family line goes le avotam according to their father's household. So, throughout the Bible, if, for example, a man from the tribe of Dan marries a woman from the tribe of Benjamin, the kids are Dan. The kids are not Benjamin. Mm. Um, And the same with, for example, being a priest. You know, someone would be a priest because their father was a priest, um, not if their mother was a priest. So, uh, it is sort of bizarre to have that kind of, I don't know if. Really, many Christians would accept that claim, I think most no i't i don 't I don't think that 's the norm,
0: but as as you pointed out earlier, necessity is the mother of invention
1: yeah, so this basically is a regurgitation of uh, jeremiah twenty three It basically says the exact same thing that the Messiah is son of David we have to first establish that Jesus comes from David, and even if he was, it doesn't make him the Messiah, because again, here, um, Jeremiah points out that the time of this descendant will be a time when Judah's going to be safe, and Jerusalem will dwell in security. Again, that's not what happened in the times of Jesus.
0: That's it for Jeremiah. We've got a few more for Ezekiel. Shall we keep going? Let's rock and roll. The next one is Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2. It does say... Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Well, the the, uh, corresponding verse, uh, according to the list in the New Testament, John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The uh, Messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is, leader, in brackets, shepherd,
1: feeds the sheep. Michael. Okay, so this is another one where even my uh, very imaginative open Bible does not consider this to be a Messianic prophecy. Um, Mm. And it's not. It's not a Messianic prophecy. As a matter of fact, the verse does not speak about leader in the singular. It speaks about leaders in the plural, and it speaks about basically how the leaders, the teachers, should tend their sheep, meaning their people, should be taken care of by the teachers, by the leaders. Um So that's all it's talking about. There's nothing messianic here at all. And it would apply to any good teacher. Any good teacher or leader should be properly taking care of their charges. Um mm. So there's nothing here that specifically points to Jesus. And of course, to say that it's fulfilled by Jesus simply saying, I'm the good shepherd, Well, that doesn't quite nail it for me, um, because all it would be saying is that if it were a messianic prophecy, then the reason Jesus fulfilled it was because he said so. Um, it would be like, you know, the Bible says that the Messiah is going to come, and if Jesus simply says, I'm the Messiah, that would mean he fulfilled that prophecy. Hmm. Um, so again, we've had a couple like that already, haven't we? Yes, we have. (laughs)
0: so uh the next one on the list is ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11 for thus says the lord god indeed i myself will search for my sheep and seek them out uh, and according to the list the corresponding verse in the new testament matthew chapter 15 verse 24 but he answered and said i was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The prophecy fulfilled according to the list, Messiah
1: goes after the sheep. So this is another passage where even my very hyperactive open Bible Mm. does not award this a star of a messianic prophecy. And the reason is very simple. Reading the verse itself tells us it's not speaking about the Messiah, it's speaking about the Almighty himself. It's actually in the verse... Uh, it identifies, uh, you know, the the, the person that the subject here is not the Messiah. It's speaking about the Almighty God Himself, and so there's nothing messianic here about this passage. Okay, moving on as Ezekiel chapter
0: Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 15 to 17. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up what was broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between the sheep and the sheep, between the rams and the goats. Interesting. Interesting. Now, the uh, the verse, according to the list, uh, corresponds there. We've got a few. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Hang on a second. Let me just check the list. Is that really, uh, is that the right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll keep going. You're, I also, thought scratching,
1: you're also scratching. I, your know, I, thought, <laughs> I thought
0: I must have the wrong verse. Yes. I thought I better just double check. The other one is uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 8. Uh, These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. The uh, the messianic prophecy fulfilled is uh, rescue the lost, sick, and broken. Michael.
1: Okay, so again, even my uh, very imaginative uh, mm-hmm. open Bible does not consider this to be a messianic prophecy. And again, the reason is that reading the verse itself in Ezekiel identifies the subject as the Almighty Himself, um, the Lord Hashem Elohim. Um, yep. That's who it's speaking about. And yep. what I would say is this, that if this verse is included in the list as a Messianic prophecy, then why not simply include every verse in the Old Testament that speaks about God and what God did and what God does? I mean, hmm. that why is it that this Verse that speaks about you know one of the things that God does. Why does this become a messianic prophecy? Um, it's not speaking about the Messiah; it's speaking about God. And then by extension, hmm. any verse uh, that speaks in, about God can therefore be. Yeah, that's right. It should be on the list. We should really, as I said earlier on, we should have thousands of uh, things on this list if uh,
0: hmm. they're really speaking about. Let us praise God right now that that is not the case. <laughs> uh, the, the next one on the list. Is Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23 to 24. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. Now, uh, it says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, this is great. This is awesome. I love this because there's a number of places we have here. My servant David, and we have uh, David, a prince among them, and uh, clearly speaking about the Messiah, right? This is a messianic prophecy. We, we've hit another one, right? This is a big one. Yes, beautiful. Now the corresponding verse, John chapter seven, John chapter ten, verse seven to eleven. Uh, then Jesus said to them again, "Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Um, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers." Oh. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. They will go in and out and find pasture. The, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have more have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep.
1: So, yeah, this is a bona fide, real, genuine, indisputable messianic prophecy. By the way, okay. verse 24 makes it clear that the messiah is not god because the scripture here says i hashem I god will be a god to them and my servant david a prince among them so it distinguishes the prince from david from the Mm -hmm. almighty god and it's interesting that the list maker here conveniently left out the succeeding verses that clarify this passage has absolutely nothing to do with jesus because in the succeeding verses we're told that I will seal a covenant of peace with them and abolish evil beasts from the land and they will dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest and I will make them and the surroundings of my hill into a blessing and I'll bring rain in its time, etc. Meaning that the the passage here in Ezekiel is a real bona fide messianic prophecy that describes the utopian future that we're Mm -hmm. awaiting when the Messiah is here. Again, nothing to do with the career of Jesus. Mm. By the way, the fulfillment is simply Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. So, you know, even if this were… Well,
0: it says says raised to be the one
1: shepherd on the list here. Yeah, Yeah, the Messiah will certainly be our shepherd. The question is, how do we know Jesus was the shepherd? And the only thing that the list maker points to is simply Jesus making the claim, I'm the one. I'm the shepherd. Mm. So again, it's easy to make the claim that a person is the Messiah. That's what Jesus seems to be saying here, at least according to the list maker. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. But Ezekiel described this shepherd, this person who will be raised up to be the prince and our king, and specifically tells us that when he is shepherding us, We're going to live in peace in our land, and we're going to have blessing there, and that simply hasn't happened.
0: I wonder, uh, let's talk about this after this one, but there is an enormous amount about that prince that Ezekiel is talking about in the latter chapters of, of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, that very prince, that messiah, there's there's quite a lot of information, specific information as to what he will do, what he will achieve, what will go on in the messianic era. None of those references are on this list, which blows my mind. But, of course, they can't be. (laughs) Let's talk about that in just a moment because this is the last one that we have in Ezekiel on the list. This is Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24 to 27. It says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall Also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince. Again, my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle shall uh, also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Oh, awesome. What, what awesome verses. Now, uh, according to the list, the corresponding verse in the New Testament, John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30, it says, My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, the uh, according to the list, the
1: Messianic prophecy fulfilled, covenant of peace, Michael. Well, you know, if someone was going to ask me to point to, you know, the most clear, significant central messianic prophecy in scripture about the messiah himself I would take them right here to the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. This is really clearly the one passage which ties it all together. It gives you every element of what's going to be taking place mm. in the times of the Messiah. And uh, what's so embarrassing here is that this simply none of this has happened. Um, this, mm. this is the one verse that makes it the most clear that Jesus is not the Messiah. Uh, It has nothing to do with Jesus. And what's interesting is that it seems to me that the list maker has to sort of spiritualize this because the passage in John chapter 10 really has nothing to do with a covenant of peace being fulfilled. Um, You know, Jesus seems to be speaking about uh, his disciples not really having peace in the sense that we understand the word normally, But it seems to be some kind of a spiritualized peace. We know that the the reality was that the disciples of Jesus didn't have uh, a time of peace. They were persecuted. um, They were hounded by the Romans. The Romans did not just execute Jesus. We know that they um, did not really have a great deal of tolerance for the other disciples of Jesus either. Mm. Um, And so there certainly was not peace in the normal sense of the word you know often Christians will say well there is peace in the world there's peace in the hearts of the believer but the Bible speaks about a very terrestrial kind of peace and it uses very expressive language first of all it speaks about a literal disarmament where the weapons of war will be destroyed and uh, you know it speaks about the kind of peace where in the ordinary use of the term Um, It's very clear what it's describing. It's describing a world where there won't be war, there won't be strife, there won't be violence. And obviously that didn't take place with the uh, advent of Jesus. And so it has to become spiritualized um, to basically be only a peace that the believers in Jesus have somehow in their hearts. Um, yeah. So now this is this is where it ends. This, uh, as far as
0: Ezekiel is concerned, no more messianic prophecies for you, Michael. That is it. We're uh, going to go to Daniel. But before we sign off and say goodbye to everybody, would you
1: enlighten us a little? Let's say from Ezekiel chapter forty-five. So what you have in the latter chapters of Ezekiel is a description. Again, it is messianic because it's describing one of the features, we just read it here in the 37th chapter, that we're going to have our temple will be uh, in existence. We're going to have a rebuilt mm-hmm. third temple. And so the the latter chapters there in, in Ezekiel describe what that third temple will look like and how it's going to be dedicated. And We're told by Ezekiel that the Prince, the Messiah, will be offering sacrifices when this new temple uh, is built. Mm-hmm. And specifically, by the way, he mentions that the Messiah will be bringing sin offerings. Um, it, it's a completely impossible passage to understand uh, from a Christian point of view. Well,
0: let me, um, let me just let me just emphasize, or just uh, clarify what you just said. He brings sin sacrifice not for others. He it says for here in uh, for himself. Uh, verse forty-five twenty-two, Ezekiel 45-22, and on that day the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land, a bull for a sin offering. People, you can read it, it's uh, Ezekiel chapter 45, Uh, read the whole thing, but that's from verse 22 and on, Michael.
1: Yeah, so I I agree with you that this is, uh, you know, justifiably a messianic prophecy that should have been on the list and uh, conveniently is left out because, again, it would be embarrassing, and yet I, I think if... If that was left off, then I think that all of the passages that we read um, tonight really should have been left off. These are all passages which have not taken place, don't apply mm-hmm. to Jesus. I, I guess you're right that in terms of the theology of the Messiah bringing a sin offering for himself, that is like, extremely awkward and uh, I guess that's why it didn't make it onto this list of prophecies. I'm inclined to think that that is the case.
0: Nevertheless we have as far as the list is concerned We have done Jeremiah and Ezekiel in one sitting How about that That's pretty amazing Next week Oh my goodness Next week the book of Daniel I don't know if we're going to be able to get through Daniel all in one Let's see how we go We might be able to And Pesach Everybody have a, a wonderful Pesach uh, Have a blessed Pesach And uh, also I will put a link As I said The real Messiah The uh, the teaching by Rabbi Michael Skobach uh, On YouTube I'll put a link to that on this post Part one as well And you can get the details there. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for coming back onto the program. It was so good to be here with you. And we're going to take a little bit of a break for the Passover holiday. We are. We're going to take a couple of weeks off, and uh, we'll we'll be back after Pesach for Daniel. There we go. That's great. Have a great one, dear listeners. And thank you, Rabbi Michael Skobak, Jews for Judaism in Canada. Jews for Judaism in Canada. The website is JewsforJudaism.ca. JewsforJudaism.ca. And until next time, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.